0: Welcome to Hot Flashes and Cold Topics podcast, the voice for women in midlife and beyond. At Hot Flashes and Cold Topics, we talk about anything and everything to do with midlife. My name is Bridget. And I'm Colleen. And today we are very excited to have Barbie Bowles on. And you may recognize her from Instagram as the Cognition Dietitian. And she just has so much great, understandable information about what happens to our metabolism. And really helped me understand what metabolic syndrome was. She laid it out so clearly what happens and what things are going on in your body. And that was so interesting, all the things that are involved with that. What did you think, Colleen? Well,
1: I just thought, you know, first off, I really hadn't heard of metabolic syndrome. Obviously, I've heard of metabolic health, but Mm -hmm. I didn't know there was a syndrome out there. And she talks about what constitutes metabolic health and there's four factors and she'll get into it about your blood sugars and your blood pressure and all that stuff. But the four factors are not normally talked about with your primary care physician. Yes, if your blood pressure is really high, they're going to mention it. If your age, you know, do you know your LDL? Do you know your HDL? If they're high then yes, you're going to talk about it with your physician. But if they're borderline and you're like walking around with the potential to get ill, Doctors don't always talk about that. And she, you know, believes strongly that a registered dietitian, which she is one, can actually help you with through food and exercise and diet to regulate your metabolic yes. health. And mm-hmm. you know, we asked her, like, what where did our metabolism go? I had a metabolism. <laughs> yes, yeah. But, but where, <laughs> where did it go? What
0: happened to it? Why, you know, when we we this is such a big question. One I have, and one that we hear from so many of our listeners is I'm doing all the stuff that I did when I was younger that helped me stay healthy, that helped me stay within a healthy weight, that helped me feel good, my joints didn't ache, and all of a sudden, all of this stuff is happening. I'm having trouble sleeping. I'm having trouble keeping weight off. And I'm not eating as much. And why is this happening? So it's really an interesting talk. And not only, you know, I'd heard of metabolic syndrome on those commercials, you know, where they try to get you to buy all their stuff. Yes. I, I hear though about that. But, um, so I didn't really, they don't explain that on the commercial. You might have metabolic syndrome, you know, but she really explained what happens. And if you are suffering from several, like, I guess there were four, and I can't remember. There were four
1: pillars of health. Three of the four, two of the four. You needed three of them. So just so um, the listeners understand, there's four pillars of metabolic health. There's blood pressure, blood lipids, blood sugar, and your visceral fat. If three of those, are an issue for you, you have metabolic syndrome. And she's going to go into great detail about that. But also, most people don't know what their visceral fat is. Right. I mean, we know where it is, but we don't know what it is.
0: Right. Uh, Yes. So that's going to be something that you talk about here. And that's just another piece of having a healthy longevity, which is really my goal. Yes. (laughs) That is just a, a piece that you have to help you have a healthy longevity.
1: Every time we interview someone who gives us information to put in that toolbox, that healthy toolbox for us, we appreciate it. And if you're not following Barbie on Instagram, you should be. It's the Cognition Dietitian. And as we said, every day, she just has great information on there that you can get for free by just following her Instagram. And she does talk specifically about women over 40, which is nice because that happens to be us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice when people talk directly to us we always yes. appreciate yes. that so make sure you are following us guys on all forms of social media also if you have any questions about this interview the links and answers will be in our show notes go to hot check out the show notes there's ones on each and every episode but this one will also have the links for barbie and we will get started on the conversation talk to you after Welcome back, guys. Today, we have on Barbie Bowles, who is a registered dietitian, and she focuses on metabolic and brain health for women over 40. And we have been following your Instagram page. We highly suggest, if you guys want to learn more about your health over 40, follow the Cognition Dietitian on Instagram, because Barbie has so much valuable information. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, ladies, for inviting me. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, we get asked frequently by our listeners, it's one of the top questions we ask, I am doing everything I used to do. I'm 40 plus and my metabolism has just stopped. Mm -hmm. So we thought, "Mm, this is a great topic to talk to Barbie about. What do you say to women who are coming to you saying, I just don't know
2: what I'm doing wrong? hmm. So that's every single client that comes to me if, if she's a woman over 40. <laughs> um, and that's me as well. You know, and I over the last I'm 52. So like, I would say about 45, I started to notice that I could no longer do what I was what I used to do and still um, feel the way I wanted to feel, um, have the body composition I wanted to have. Uh, and, and so it's a very real thing. Now, you know, we know for sure that estrogen has an impact on blood lipids, blood sugar, um, uh, blood pressure, and um, certainly the brain, the gut, uh, liver health, everything. We know we we know that that's a fact. We don't know all of the mechanisms, and we also know for sure that estrogen redistributes be- um, fat to the belly area. What is in dispute? is because we just don't have enough research, particularly on women of our ages, what is in dispute is the reason behind actual weight gain. The body composition shift, everybody recognizes, but the weight gain that happens, no one can quite agree on whether that is genuinely due to uh, a reduction in metabolic rate, changes in estrogen, or if it's just habit change. To which I say who cares? Um, Because at the end of the day, we have to do the same thing. If we have a desire to change it, if we don't have a desire to change it, cool. And no one should judge you for that. But if you're feeling like, you know, I just don't feel as good as I used to. And I want to um, really the number one way to do that. And I feel like this is sort of an essential for women in midlife is strength training, because that is the thing that will actually increase your metabolic rate. There are a lot of weird supplements and diets and recommendations for how to boost metabolism. None of that is actually valid. The only thing you can truly do to genuinely increase your metabolic rate is strength training. That also protects your bones. It also improves insulin sensitivity. It, incre- it improves your body composition to help with that visceral fat that might be developing. So the number one thing I say is, are you ready to strength train?
0: <laughs> and how much strength training should you be doing? How often and how much? And yeah.
2: you know how intense? Should right. You be so that, that? is going to be very dependent upon the woman. I what I always say to my clients is we all have an effort threshold, right? To and and again, no one should judge you for what your effort threshold is, and it might vary from day to day. But you do need to take ownership and be honest with yourself about what that is because you don't want to disappoint yourself. Let's make it impossible to fail. So I say, if you can do five minutes a day, five minutes once a week, whatever, it's five minutes you weren't doing before, but hopefully over time we can gradually build it to the recommendation of 70 minutes a week, which is you can divide that up however you want. Um, I personally do about 10 to 20 minutes a day, because I like to the way I like to work exercise and what I really recommend for people who either haven't done it in a while or just has never really felt like their thing is to make an appointment with yourself every single day don't take a day off in the beginning once you get used to it and you love it and it feels like oh my day is missing is something if I don't have this then fine then shimmy it around but initially, Make an appointment like you would with anyone else that you don't want to disappoint because you shouldn't disappoint yourself and make it for the same amount of time. You can do whatever you want. You can do cardio. You can do strength training. You can do a combination. You can do yoga. You can take a walk. You can roll around on the floor. Whatever you want to do, but you are keeping that appointment and ultimately it will become something that is changing things for the better. Just one more thing I want to say about exercise. I re, What I really encourage my clients to do, and hopefully I, I send this message as well, is so many of us have a relationship with exercise that is about compensation for calories eaten or calories that we're going to eat. And you may have heard me say it if you've seen some of my reels, but that feels like punishment. That is not the relationship you want to develop with exercise. If we can instead... We want the body composition shift. We want all those awesome benefits, but those take time. And if we're not seeing results right away, we might give up prematurely. If we can focus on what one one workout does and one workout, even midway through the workout, better mood, better sleep, better glucose regulation, all these awesome things are happening while you're working out and last that entire day. So if we can just focus on one workout instead of, oh, you know, I want this or this, you know, I think we'd, we'd stick with it a lot better.
1: Bridget and I talk about the fact that, you know, when we were younger, we exercised to fit in the dress that we needed to fit in next Mm -hmm. month, but now we exercise more for our mental health, our physical health, and to live healthier longer. And I think that's a really big mindset for women, 40 plus. Do you want to be healthier longer? Do you want to have a strong, strong bones Mm -hmm. and muscle strength, do you find that that's kind of an aha moment for some of your
2: clients? 100% often when I say what I just said about shifting it to what happens in the one workout, they're like, oh, I, I never, I just never thought of it that way. Cause I'm so, we grew up in the eighties. We're very, con- and you know, the early nineties, we're conditioned to be thinking of our, our health through um a, a lens of what is this going to do for the way I look, as opposed to how is this genuinely going to improve my health? And also when you're younger, you're not really thinking about you know, strong bones and creaky joints and brain health and the risk of dementia or even heart disease and diabetes, you're thinking more about how hot do I look at the club, right? And so for sure, that's why we were exercising when we were younger. But in my opinion, that's just a really outdated way to think about it because it does so much more than that. If that's all we're thinking about, we're missing kind of the point as far as I'm concerned, because the human body, this is part of the reason that a sedentary lifestyle is usually on most lists, second only to smoking cigarettes as a risk factor for disease or um, dying prematurely. The human body is designed to move. It is not designed to be sedentary. And that I think is part, a lot of, most people blame food. I think that our lack of movement is just as much to blame as, you know, a lot of the ultra-processed foods that we're over-consuming and things like that. I think we are designed to move. We are designed to move a lot more than we do. And we have to find a way to find something that we love so that we can become more active. Listen, when I'm 80, I want to be skiing with my grandchildren. You know? (laughs) And that's what I think about. And that, you know, having a why like that, not the number on the scale or I just know it's good for me. That's not very motivating. But if you can have a specific goal in mind, like literally, I want to be skiing with my grandchildren, or I want to be running around Disney World, or I I don't want to be hobbling along behind anybody, exercise becomes a lot more appealing.
0: What do you say to clients, and I know often we'll hear this, that they will go to their physician, and it will just almost be traumatizing because the physician, whoever it might be, some physicians are more considerate and have a better... You know, bedside manner than others, uh-huh. but they really put them down just about weight. And what do you say to clients? I'm sure you've had clients that come to you with this. Like just oh, lose the weight. Just, Probably yes. go away
1: if you just lose the weight.
0: And they're very, it mentally just uh, can be very draining.
2: You can't believe what I have heard from my clients telling me what their doctors have said to them. Now, this is multifactorial, and I don't want to throw a whole bunch of shade at, at doctors because I have the utmost respect. They save lives every day. I have a lot of medical people in my family, doctors included. But what I will say is two things. First of all, they don't have time to instruct. Secondly, they are not educated to instruct on things like weight loss and body composition. They, um, their, their focus. Is disease oriented, medication oriented, surgery oriented, not preventative. We're getting there, sort of, but um the vast majority of doctors will look at a person and say, okay, your cholesterol is borderline, your blood sugar is borderline, um, you know, your blood pressure is up a little bit, just go lose some weight. Have you tried keto? Have you tried intermittent fasting? You know, the butter's okay, just don't eat the bread. I've heard all of this. None of this is helpful. It is spectacularly unhelpful. In fact, I really wish more doctors would take the initiative to have relationships with dieticians who specialize in, say, diabetes, heart disease, renal disease, high blood pressure, um, eating disorder, whatever it is, so that they can refer out, so that their their patients can get really genuinely good help. Because all of these patients will walk away and say, well, I... Okay. I lose weight. What do I do? Starve myself and exercise. I don't know what to do with that. So it's just, it's, it's really disappointing, but it's also, we think of our doctors as our frontline. They they should know everything, right? They should know about nutrition, but the fact is they don't. There's a reason we have res- registered dietitians. You wouldn't go to, you know, a, a heart surgeon to deal with a broken leg. And it's the same thing as going to your primary physician for nutrition. So I say if that is you and you've heard that from your doctor, please do
1: seek out a nutrition professional because we are here to help. So if you are someone who has gone to a doctor and said, you know what, your blood pressure is a little elevated, your glucose is a little elevated, let's start now before it gets to the point where you're pre-diabetic, what are some of the steps women can take?
2: So... <laughs> I- I, okay. I, I have so many times this year, I it's over 25 people who have new clients who have come to me. And I look at their, I always look at labs because oftentimes doctors will not say what you just said. They will not point out borderline illness uh, or to be preventative. They will wait until someone needs medication in order to start addressing it. So that's why I always look at labs. And over 25 people this year, I've identified metabolic syndrome and their doctor did not mention it. So... If they do, or if if you know you you this is why um, you know self advocacy, being empowered, knowing what these numbers mean—it's not very hard. You can Google it. What is normal blood pressure? What is normal LDL, HDL, and triglycerides? What is um, you know normal fasting glucose and A1C, and where should my um, you know waist circumference be or waist to hip ratio? Know those numbers so that when you look at your labs, you can see. And generally, there's something that's you know a little H or an L or whatever that's says that it's outside of range. But I really want people to be empowered and know what those numbers mean so that even if your doctor doesn't point it out because you're just borderline, you know that you there's something you need to start addressing. So, and I, this, I get this a lot with women over 40, particularly over 45, where the doctor did not say anything, but I'm looking at metabolic syndrome. So I know that we have to start looking at her. But just to clarify, metabolic health is blood pressure, blood lipids, blood sugar, and visceral fat. So those are the four components of metabolic health. If you have dysregulation in any three of these four, you have metabolic syndrome. And only recent estimates Um, say that only 12% of U.S. adults, now this does not differentiate between men and women, but only 12% of U.S. adults are metabolically healthy, meaning 88% of U.S. adults have at least one of those conditions, if not more. That is an epidemic. And so it is not unusual that someone could be walking around at the precipice of illness and kind of it hasn't really been pointed out to them. So what do we do? So whatever the situation is, whether it's lipids, blood sugar, um, visceral fat, or oh, blood pressure, we just start teasing it apart. You know, let's target this from nutrition, sleep, exercise, and stress. It's what I call the four pillars of optimal health. And I eat, address each from a nutrition, sleep, exercise, and stress perspective so that we are really healing their metabolic health, which benefits your brain because your brain health rests on your metabolic health. And that is a message that I really just want to make very clear. A lot of the time, because high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high blood sugar, and excess intra-abdominal fat is so common, we've sort of normalized it like, okay, here's your medication. You know, I'll see you in a year. It's not normal. It's very common, but it's not normal. And we don't want it to progress, particularly because all of these illnesses have a roadmap to dementia. And I, that's the piece I don't think a lot of people see that we really are laying the foundation for better brain health, lowering our risk of cognitive decline, lowering our risk of Alzheimer's. Right now, really starting in our thirties, but we really have an opportunity right now. We as women in our forties and fifties and early sixties to really affect change for de- the decades to come.
0: Are there any like just outline symptoms if you're going through this age? I mean, I know the weight gain that's visible, but mm-hmm. is there anything that your body might be sending you a message that that's
2: going on with your blood pressure or your you know uh, sugar blood sugar? I am so, so glad you said that because no, these are all silent conditions. You don't know if you have elevated LDL cholesterol or low HDL or high triglycerides. You don't know if you have high blood pressure unless it's extreme and you might get headaches or dizziness or even like actually feel pressure, but that's rare. Um, you don't know if you have high blood sugar. You you certainly, you know, excess intra-abdominal fat, like you said, is going to be obvious. But the other three very dangerous conditions are completely silent. And that's why staying in in regular contact with your doctor at least once a year, getting these things evaluated um, is really important.
1: So as someone who is a sugar addict and freely admits it and has tried many things to kind of lower the amount of sugar intake, it's challenging. And as we get older, it's not as simple as someone just saying, we'll get rid of all the sugar in your diet. Because you immediately resent that. Like you said before, it's like a punishment.
0: Mm-hmm. How
1: do we introduce or remove certain things in our diet that might help with your glucose levels?
2: Right. So first of all, self-kindness. You know, no shame. Shame does not belong in your relationship with food. No, no, no guilt, no shame, no negative feelings. Um, that will relieve some of the stress out of it. Just understanding, instead of calling yourself an addict, Just admit you're somebody who loves sugar, whatever. That's okay. We're designed, the human body, the palate, our brain is designed to love sugar. It's what keeps us alive. It's what attracts us to food. It's what lights up dopamine and other happy hormones. So what I would say is it's not about removing this from your life because that is generally a strategy that backfires. It's more about, first and foremost, taking a mindful step back. Like, okay, when am I reaching for this? What am I reaching for? What is the quantity? How am I feeling when this is going on? Is there something else that is non-food that I could start replacing some of these uh, some of these episodes, let's call them, with something else that also lights up dopamine? That's the key piece. When any habit change, which whether it's food related or not, when you are changing a habit, you must replace it with something else that gives you the same or similar feeling. So and you can't just create this void in your life, especially if it was something that you loved that much. So you can mediate it a bit, but you need to bring in things that also, again, light up that dopamine pathway that are hopefully more health promoting like a walk, meditation, natural sunlight, fresh air. dance. My personal favorite is dancing and singing to my favorite song of the moment, and like really going bananas <laughs> um because that just completely clears my head. I'm also a meditation teacher, so I'm very partial to that. But deep breathing works in a pinch. So finding things to replace it, but, but not all of it. You want to be able to give yourself that little bit of a treat. But again, it's that mindful step back. You kind of have to take inventory of what exactly is going on. Does that make sense?
0: Absolutely. does. Especially the, the, you know, not leaving the void. I was like, I never thought of it that way. It's just you've got to do something to fulfill that. Bo- and it doesn't have to be food. So I think I read somewhere about puzzles or anything like that, that you could do yeah. that's going to take that void.
2: Absolutely. Think of things you loved when you were a child and it doesn't need to be the same activity, but what it, what was the idea? Was it nature? Was it reading? Was it movies? Was it, you know, playing? Was it coloring? Whatever. That'll help you start figuring out what kinds of things are going to light you up like that.
1: When we talk about sugar, we also talk about it in terms of menopause and how it's not a friend to the Mm -hmm. menopause symptoms. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So sugar, um, well, okay. So let's differentiate. There's
1: glucose, which
2: is present in all plant foods, um, which, and we want a lot of plant foods because we want the phytonutrients and the vitamins and minerals and hydration and fiber when it's processed into sucrose. So glucose and fructose, and we consume it in abundance over time that can become inflammatory it isn't just that every little teaspoon of sugar that you put in your coffee or whatever sprinkle on your cereal is a problem. It's when we overconsume refined sugar and starches over time that there is an inflammatory process. When we overwhelm, it's not that sugar directly causes diabetes or insulin resistance. In fact, saturated fat is just as implicated in insulin resistance as um, an overabundance of glucose. Um, it's really more about that intra-abdominal fat creating the insulin resistance. And however you get there is is the causative factor there.
0: And we're going to take a break. We'll be back in a moment. With midlife comes many changes. This stage of life presents us with multiple crossroads and they can be painful. Divorce, empty nest, career pivots. Sometimes it's just a longing for something new. That's one of the reasons we love Wendy and Dana at Camp Reinvention. They've helped hundreds of women get clear, get going, and get on to living the lives that they truly love. Camp Reinvention can help you. Their next 12-week camp program starts March 28th. Learn more about this in our show notes.
2: And we're back. What we want to do is ideally we're keeping our added sugar to under six teaspoons a day. We're going crazy with the the fruits and the veggies and the, you know, other plant foods that contain glucose. But in terms of refined sugar, we want to try to keep it to under six teaspoons. That's not easy when a soda has 10 teaspoons, a grande caramel macchiato has um, about 13. Um, and then if you have like a muffin with it, now you're up to like 30, And so that's enough for several days. Do you know what I'm saying? And see, Mm -hmm. this is—it's not that sugar itself is the problem. It's the quantity that we're consuming. And if we're consuming a lot of takeout, restaurant, prepackaged, ultra-processed foods, we're probably consuming too much because those foods are laden with sugar, and we and we kind of just don't recognize it. Whereas if we are mostly just kind of cooking from home and using whole foods, we're probably not getting too much. And we should not be afraid of fruit. I really want to make that point. (laughs) Let's not be afraid of fruit. Fruit is your friend. Fruit, especially berries, is awesome for your brain. So yeah, it it can increase inflammation. And again, what I like to say is there is a sweet spot for carbohydrates for every woman, for every person, really. We don't want to underdo it, because that can cause brain brain fog and fatigue and and um, compromise our cognition and 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 aggravate other symptoms of peri menopause and menopause. Um, but too much does the same thing. So it's this sort of we want to find that right spot for us, and that's going to be unique to you. You have to play with what that looks like for you, for you know getting it right. Did that make sense? Oh, it, it does, absolutely. And, you know, with
0: inflammation, and we've heard it from many people that we talked to and interviewed, that seems to be such a cause of so many problems. Yeah. Yeah. And it and it just, it seems like women, when we hit that menopausal age, all of these, this perfect storm just happens right there.
2: Yeah. Well, that, you know, first the erraticism of estrogen and then the steady decline, And ultimately, you know, it's, it's quite low that, as I was saying earlier, estrogen plays a role in just about everything that goes on in the female and quite frankly, male body, but it's just more, uh, more obvious in us. And of course we lose it. Um, and that just kind of starts dysregulating everything. And so it's at, it's a point in our lives where we really do kind of have to double down if we want to feel really good. And uh, that's you know what I try to help women do. Figure out what's exactly right for them that's going to help them pick up the pieces, pull it back together, <laughs> and um, move forward in a way that makes
1: sense. And it's not going to look like what it looked like before. Hopefully, it's going to be better. We were interviewing someone who said that if you're in a grocery store, and these are like little snippets that resonate with more than one person that if you're in a grocery store and you pick up a product and the fiber and the protein together are higher than the added sugars, the number, then it's generally on your okay you can get list. What do you think of that?
2: Okay. I mean, I can go with that. That's actually something I've never heard. Um, What I would prefer is someone look at the, the added sugar or what I... What, that's not bad advice that's not what i'm saying what i'm saying is the what, what i advise my clients is look at the added sugar let's say it's a yogurt okay uh, and this is where kind of in, you know you have to evaluate for yourself let's say it's a container of yogurt if you were to eat plain yogurt at home and sweeten it yourself you might put a teaspoon in and stir it around and that might be sweet enough for you in a a, a commercially prepared yogurt is more likely to have two, three, four, five, six teaspoons. So pay attention there and see if that's reasonable. Do you know what I'm saying? Also, how does that fit within the context of what else you've eaten that day? This I'm huge on. Everything has to be within context. So people will ask me, can I eat eggs? Are eggs okay? Okay. First of all, eggs are an excellent source of protein, Um, lots of benefits in eggs. What we want to be careful about about eggs is the saturated fat in the yolk, not very much, like 1.6 grams. However, if you're somebody who likes a three-egg omelet every morning, but you otherwise eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and beans and fiber, and you don't eat a whole lot of red meat and you exercise do you with the eggs. If you're somebody who cooks with a lot of butter, has steak several times a week, you don't really exercise very much. Then I want to start playing with how many egg yolks you have a week. Does that make sense? So it's like, we got to look at context. So I don't think that a blanket statement about what to look for on a label is very helpful when you're not also thinking about what del- what else does that person have going on? But ideally you're keeping... A serving of whatever to no more than four grams of uh, sugar, which is a
1: teaspoon. For Alzheimer's and some forms of dementia, women are more inclined to be diagnosed than men. Do you attribute that to the estrogen or are inflammatory responses? Do you have an opinion on that? I do. It follows the research, which it, again,
2: um, there is two thirds of, of Alzheimer's patients are women. Uh, so we outnumber we 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 are at double the risk of Alzheimer's compared to men. Um, the belief used to be that that is because women live longer, but really honestly, we've never lived longer than a few years <laughs> over men in terms of life expectancy, so that was never a very satisfying um, explanation. We now know, that, yes, the, the menopause transition causes changes in the brain that are likely related to a decline in estrogen that change the metabolism in the brain, that increase uh, beta amyloid plaques, tau tangles, and other inflammatory shrinkage of the hip, uh, hippocampus, which is where uh, we're largely responsible for our memory, um, that definitely the menopause transition is involved. Just like it is for blood pressure, blood lipids, blood sugar, and intra-abdominal fat. But the mechanism isn't completely understood. And there is research up now about hormone replacement therapy potentially decreasing risk, but we're not totally there yet in terms of being able to recommend HRT specifically for lowering dementia risk. So it, it's, it's currently, it's underway. That research. But yes, for sure, women are at an increased risk. And then there's you know, also um, not everybody will ever find out uh, how their genes play a role, but there is a gene that can put you at an increased risk as well, APOE. And if you have the four allele, there are three alleles, two, three, and four. If you get a copy of APOE from each parent, and uh, so you will have two copies. And if you have a four, you are at an increased risk. And if you have two fours, you are at a significantly increased risk. But just because you have a four doesn't mean you will get Alzheimer's, and just because you don't doesn't mean you won't. So <laughs> there, but there is that genetic component. Sounds like a Chris Hemsworth kind of thing, didn't he? He has two fours. Yeah, that was that was what that was his concern. And when you have a four or two fours. You want to take extra precaution. It's just, you know, another layer. It doesn't mean it's not um, determinative. Uh, There are three genes that are determinative for Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's, but they're extremely rare. APOE 4 is not as rare, but it doesn't mean you will get Alzheimer's. It does mean it's a, a, an added layer of risk and you want to take extra precaution. But I personally, when you, there is a, one of the pinned reels on my Instagram page is um, knowing your risk factors. And there are about 25 of them. And it's like, if you can tick a whole bunch of boxes there, you really do want to be doing everything you can for prevention.
1: Now, you also spoke about sleep. Again, it's an individualized thing. Some women are fine with six to seven, some are seven to eight. I'm an eight to nine. If I don't get eight to nine hours, I'm not that pleasant the next day.
2: <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, sleep is crucial to the health of your brain and your metabolic health, Um and of course, that is something that can really become disrupted with hormonal fluctuations. So we really do want to do everything we can to prioritize it. Um, the brain actually shrinks if we do not get, if we are sleep deprived chronically. So again, another layer of risk if we are sleep deprived. One thing I want to say, and this is a little bit about the mindset sh- like The mindset shift about exercise, thinking of it as like, what is this one workout going to give me instead of how am I going to look six months from now? You are preparing for a good night's sleep from the second that you wake up. Most people don't think of sleep until after dinner, but everything you've done all day, everything you've eaten, how you've handled stress, whether or not you've taken a few breaks for yourself, whether or not you've exercised, That is all going to contribute to the quality of your sleep. And I don't mean you want to micromanage your day to like, you know, make sure you get like a perfect amount of sleep, but just having that mindset, you know, I want to get some morning sunlight because I know that helps regulate my, my, um, Uh, The the hormones that help contribute to a good night's sleep. I want to exercise because that promotes a good night's sleep. I want to make sure I get enough protein. I've nourished myself well. I want to make sure I've got some stress relief techniques so that I'm not going nuts as I put my head on the pillow. So just thinking of it like my whole day is a route towards better sleep or away from.
1: My last question is there has been so much talk recently about intermittent fasting for women Mm -hmm. over 40. What do you think? Do you think that is a good plan for women because it have health benefits? So, yeah, there's a
2: giant push for intermittent fasting for perimenopausal and menopausal women, and there's a giant push for keto. <laughs> um, as far as intermittent fasting is concerned, I am reserving judgment until there is better research. There isn't a lot of great research in humans. Um, despite what you'd think, (laughs) given the way some people advocate for it. What I will say about intermittent fasting is... It is very person. Whether or not it's going to be f- beneficial is very, um, in, again, individualized, personality based. Are you someone who likes parameters? Do you or do you thrive when you've got some rules? If so, intermittent fasting might be very appropriate for your lifestyle. If you are someone who really enjoys eating whatever they want, that contributes to your health, and it's it feels too restrictive, and you kind of stress out about your eating window then it's not appropriate for you. So that's just a very practical standpoint. There are so many approaches to intermittent fasting. There is 12-12, there's 16-8. There's people who only eat for a window of four hours. There are people who eat whatever they want for five days and fast, or meaning eat under 500 calories for two days a week. There are so many different ways to approach it. It's It has not been researched well yet. to to determine like which, if any, of those strategies are really beneficial. And then it's like, what are we really looking at? Are we looking at weight loss? Are we looking at uh, blood lipids, blood sugar, blood pressure, visceral fat? There are so many different ways we can look at it. I will say in terms of weight loss thus far, it has not proven to be any more beneficial than calorie restriction. So, Because essentially what most people are doing when they intermittent fast is they're giving up a meal. So they're really doing the same thing as calorie restriction. What I will say is if you are a fan and it's working and you love it, do you hundred percent. I am big on that. I never judge. I mean, you can be a vegan keto intermittent faster, and I will help you work. You know I mean? I will help help you make that work in a way that's getting you all the nutrients that you need. What I will say though, I'm a big believer in breakfast for way too many reasons. Then, you know, we don't, we don't have time for why I believe in breakfast so much, but If you intermittent fast, please shift your window to the morning to include breakfast and have an earlier dinner instead of this 12 to eight thing that is so, um, it's just so random. It does. It's, there's no point to 12 to eight shift it to include breakfast. That can be 10. So 10 to four, whatever, but just eat breakfast, set yourself up that way, eat some protein. It'll feel better for sure. I really wish we could take the focus off of weight. I wish more doctors understood this too, just going back to that. It's not about, even they know, it's not about weight. It's about shifting your body composition to less adipose tissue and more muscle mass. That's what we want. The number on the scale matters very little. It's about muscle mass and less adipose tissue, particularly in the belly area.
1: And we know as menopausal women, that belly area is just like grows daily. You're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> what happened What, ha- what did I eat last night? Mm. I
2: know I have a client who said, I think my belly waved at me this morning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's possible. Oh, okay. yeah. I can see that. Yeah.
2: But you know, you're not doing anything wrong. It's a very normal shift in, in, you know, in terms of what happens, but it's just because of that visceral fat piece that can be metabolically harmful.
1: We want to give it some love. Thank yeah. you so much, Barbie, for coming on. This was, uh, we know the listeners are going to just enjoy this episode and we learned so much as well. So yes. thank you for coming I'm on. I'm so
2: glad. Thank you so much, ladies. You're so fun to talk to, too. Made my morning.
1: So much information that we got from Barbie Bowles, and we want to thank her for coming on the show and sharing it. If you have questions about this episode or any episode, go to Flashes cooltopics.com, and we will have the show notes there for you. Plus, on our website, we have tons of information. So if you go on there, you will see that we have not only episodes, but we also have blogs and we have um, we shop a little bit on our episodes. So we have brands that we love listed on there and upcoming events, which we are going to have some big ones coming up this year, guys. So make sure that you check us out and you subscribe to our newsletter. If you go on our website, a little pop-up will come up. Just leave your email and you'll start receiving our newsletters, which you don't want to miss out. Again, thank you so much, Barbie, for coming on, talking about our metabolism, where it went, how we can find it, and We need to start doing some strength training, I guess. Add that to your list. Have a great week, guys. We will talk to you next time.
0: Bye.